Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? Hi. Hi. Ah. I'm just sitting here feeling excited for you and your new life decision. So... So, yeah, I mean, so my sister was like, you should stick it out. But that's like really Midwest. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I don't I don't subscribe to that anymore. Yeah, Um, you're done with that now. (laughs) um, So so here's here's what transpired. And I can you know, this is this is helpful for our listeners, probably, because they might have life decisions they have to make. That's right. Everybody does, I suppose. Um, so they don't, she won't get rid of this mentor, right? So we're all like, this mentor is not working. There's things happening on several levels. So the the mentor is horrible. And I've talked about her before on the podcast. And it's, it's just, um, the notes aren't helpful. The social interactions aren't helpful on any level with her. And and, the person who's trying to turn everything into just a story that she wants to write, right? Yeah. And yeah. just the notes are like, and this is, you know, and we've talked about it, but it's like, if you're going to say a note and, and the note is, this would never happen in Hollywood, like, because my story's about Hollywood. And I'm like, but what, what? I just can't. Okay. So we started writing to the head of the program saying, this isn't working. This isn't working. This isn't working. She's done nothing. She's like, I'll talk to her. I'll talk to her. I'll talk to her. She has, I don't know if she's talked to her or not, but nothing has changed. And I, my screenplay has gone from like something that I really believe in to like a Hallmark movie of the week kind of Mm. rom-com. And I'm like, wait, what, how did this happen to me? And across the board, my cohort is like, she's terrible. So nothing was done about her. So that's one thing. But the other thing is sort of like, I need to, uh, I want to focus on bringing in income for my family. Like mm-hmm. that needs to, and, and, and creating a business, you know, that works and a, look, I, I, I don't care about an MFA. Now I know how to write a spec, right? And now mm-hmm. I know how to, and, and now I know formatting more. So like, I just feel, you know, people are like, wait, you went to school to learn. How to, okay. But also, you know, so anyway, my big decision is like, I'm, I'm ready to, and Miles and I had to talk about it. Like we're ready to really start you know, earning for our family. And like, I just um, started thinking about school and I just felt horrible. I was like, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. I don't care about an MFA. I, I, I literally could care less. I, I don't want to teach screenwriting at this point. And also big, you know, my friend Gisa was saying, she was like, Jen, nobody in Hollywood, you know, like does things the it, it, MFA doesn't open doors in Hollywood. Right. Those doors open because of relationships and because of, so I've talked to a bunch of people about it and um, I just, it just feels not like the right decision to stay there. Mm-hmm. Could be the yeah. wrong decision. Could have worked, could work. I, I don't know. But I, I, I do know is that I'm, I can't, I can't um, work with this mentor anymore. It's a waste of my time. Well, and what I can glean from the things that you've told me are, A, uh, 
it would have been worth it if you had had like an amazing relationship with your mentor or if you if the people that you were working with were people who could really open a lot of doors for you and so far the one experience you had with somebody trying to open a door for you to have their same representation was less than impressive I, I would say very much so or if you were just loving it and you just you didn't feel like you were going to get much out of it, but you loved it and you loved having this, this set apart time to work on your writing. I mean, you know, you had that a little bit when you did the Mindhunter and, the, and I read the episode and it turned out so, so well. Like you did such a great job with it, but, but I'm not totally convinced you couldn't have done such a great job with it in any case. Right. Yeah. And I, and I... I just really feel like the year 2021 is about, is about, like you said, amassing, you know, consolidating power and um, leaping into big asks and really making a go. Um, And I also think that school is sort of, can be anyway, a way of hiding. Do you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I'm not ready yet to be a, a professional writer in Hollywood or a professional actor or professional what. So, And it brings it back to the theater school. It's like, I wonder how many of us would have done better if we had said, you know what, I'm just going to give it a go. Like, I'm going to give it a go, especially since making a living at at acting is so much geared towards film and television that Mm -hmm. you don't need all the theater training, really. I mean, it helps, but like... Anyway, yeah. I just wonder about that. Like, if, if you and I had struck out to Hollywood when we were 22 and said, you know what, what, what we'll figure it out. We could yeah. be mega stars. Maybe not. We could be dead in a ditch somewhere. But, you know. <laughs> well, the point is, I think you're making the right decision. And, and, and <clears throat> you're... Uh, your interests, your the things that you really want to spend your time pursuing. I mean, it, it it was becoming like you're just doing school for school. It was not like necessarily for you, right? And it has to it has to be for you at this point, especially. It has to be for you. Yeah, I mean, I'm 45. I I don't. I need to. Yeah, I just the other thing that's just abundantly clear is like there are a lot of mediocre middle aged white dudes making a lot of money in Hollywood, and and I'm. I'm like, no, it's time, it's time to switch that up and it's starting to change, but I don't think that I'm doing myself any favors by saying, well, let me wait another two years. What the hell? Right. And I also, it was kind of a big bummer when they, when they fired the only person of color at that school. Did I tell you that? Wait, what? No. Yeah. So at the beginning of our year, there was a woman from Evanston whose name, um, Yes, you loved her. They fired her. So, (laughs) so I just, and someone quit when they fired her. And then it's just, um, it's just not the, you know what, like Dr. Altman used to say, it could have worked and it could have been the right fit and it could have been what I needed at the time. And I think that first semester was what I needed because it helped me get into LA and helped me feel like I had a purpose in LA, even though it was remote school. But now I'm like, you know, I'd rather spend my time trying to hustle up business for us. So yeah, I mean, it's interesting the way the Midwest mentality works too. Mm-hmm. It's real interesting. Let me just tell you, I'm mm-hmm. like, if there is a real sort of, um, keep your head down, hustle, stick everything, stick it out at all costs. 
You know, I I was raised with that mentality, and I'm not from the Midwest, so that's what the hell is it? Uh, well, you one time mentioned your sometimes that you get like your immigrant mom kind of, and my parents were not immigrants, but their parents, a uh, couple of them were, and I feel like there's something about, yeah, like like there's listen, it could go either way in this country. You could you could you could sink or you can swim, and I think a lot of people of our parents' generation really thought of because they didn't, many of them didn't go to college. Um, my parents didn't go to college, then it's like, well, that's got to be the golden ticket. I mean, if you can go to college, then that's, that's the thing that's going to really set you up for the rest of your life. And and in some ways, that's true. And in some ways, it's not. And I, um, and I think that's why I left the Midwest, to be honest with you, and why I, I want, it, it, it's that sort of, I, I notice it more here than in California, because I think in California, I don't know. I don't know why, but there's a freedom of, I don't know. It's a little more oppressive in the Midwest of like, uh, maybe, maybe it's not the, the Midwest mentality, but it's a mentality of, like, of oppression. Like we are, like, everything is really heavy and you have to just, there's a lot of trudging that goes on. I don't Dude, want to the, You know what it is? It's like the factory mentality. Oh. It's like the, it's like, when the industrial revolution happened and people were happy to get indoor jobs, yeah. reliable paychecks, even if, so even if they were just putting the same widget on every yep. single day, it was like, it's a real lot, you know, yep. and it's the old company. And that's, that's really what my parents had is like the company, the company line line and, and, and wait till, you know, work at the same place for 25 right. years. You can get your gold watch and retire. Right. And guess what? For both of my parents that totally blew up in their faces. My mother lost her job when she was this close to being the head honcho and, you know, she's, she really changed her tune about like loyalty, loyalty to your company. Cause you're, these hoes ain't loyal. These CEOs ain't loyal. They're not trying to... Hey, let me run this by you. So the thing that I wanted to run by you okay. is, um, and I, I have to figure out a way to say this that's discreet. You know, discreet, yeah. So I have in one little area of my life, I have the occasion to work with quite a lot of elderly people. Okay. And I'll be specific and say people over 60. Okay. And I realize like if you're 60, that's not exactly elderly, but you know, just to give you the general idea. And these are people. I think across the board who fancy themselves quite progressive and, and open-minded, but they're not, it's, it's simply not the case. And in this particular arena in which we work, me and some of the people who are a little bit on the younger side have been uh, appalled at like the way in which these people have refused to stay current with what's happening in the culture. And I think I've said this maybe even more than once on this podcast, like the worst kind of quote unquote liberal or progressive is the one who uses this like a badge to get out of jail free card and they don't have to actually do any work on 
maintain, I mean, because like progressive means you're progressing. It's right. not like you get there and then you're done. It's like right. you have to always be going forward and staying current. And, and look, maybe when I'm 70, I'm going to be in this position of saying, listen, I did all this. I lived through these changes and I got on board with it. And now I'm 70 and I don't want to do it anymore. But then so like, don't be a part of a progressive group that's right. trying to be at the cutting edge of something. Yes, that art. is absolutely true. That is right? absolutely like, true. I, and, it's, and it's this weird thing where all of us younger people know exactly what it's like to to put yourself in the position of just catering to that and yeah. like just being oh, okay well you know giving everybody a pass but because of the work that we have to do in, in this position we we can't just let these things go because it's part of what's keeping our our little group held back and so we're trying to vault our little group forward and we're meeting so much resistance and last oh. night we had a meeting and all this crazy shit went down and I was and I just texted like uh, one of my peers there and I said I'm simply so tired of this I'm simply so tired of explaining why you can't say the n-word even if it's in quote-unquote art yeah I'm so tired of explaining like just because something happened to you does and you feel the urge to write about it that doesn't make it inherently dramatic or even if it is dramatic it doesn't mean it needs to be said in 2020 like just because something is true doesn't mean it needs to be made into art right right and we had this whole you know tiresome conversation about authenticity and I feel like people use authenticity as a way to also like but it's just real it's just real I'm just saying what's real like I mean, I, in a way, I can't really argue with that, but it's like, yeah, but that's not the point. The point is not, I, I mean, yes, a part of art has to be real, but a bigger part of it has to be relevant. Yes, relevant. And yes, relevant is the key word there. And relevant and um, um, uh, uh, pressure in the moment. Um, so timely. Yes, timely. it has to be that's of the meant. moment. Yes. Of the moment. And and very uh yeah important in the moment yeah 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 and artists are supposed to be shaping culture I mean that's not not like you can't be an artist if you're not doing that but that's typically the been the role of art like reflecting and shaping culture right and to me if you're not trying to do that I I'm not interested in what you have to say as an artist and I so and the thing I really want to run by you is like how you deal with this particular circumstance where you know this person exactly you know exactly what this person expects of you you know exactly the way you're supposed to behave in this situation Mm -hmm. which is you're supposed to you know be deferential Uh and like forgive them for they know not what they do but when you really either can't or just don't want to to do that anymore like how do you navigate making a change I think uh, yeah like that I think that um, I definitely know what I, I not to do because I've done it so much, which is cater to white fragility, right? And um, my sis, my sister was just talking about that, like not catering to white fragility or to fragility in, in any sense, but usually mm-hmm. it tends to be mm-hmm. uh, older white folks. But um, I think it's very tricky, but I think that I am no longer interested in being part of groups where... I have to constantly fight 
for what's right. We're and explain all, it to people oh, all the, the time. Thing. You're supposed to already be part of the same group, right? So, so it would be great if that group would move forward together. But if within the group, the, the people who are more progressives are, are are having to spend most of the time trying to pull the the other people along. It sort of defeats the purpose of being in a group after a while, after yes. a while. So you have yeah. to, like, I have to decide, like, what's the tipping point? Like, this is, oh, I am like 2021, the year of, is this a waste of everyone's, my time, everyone's time? It may not be, and it may be worth it. So like, if you have a group of people and you really feel like there's progress being made, then that's one thing. But if you're constantly up against a wall, I think that it's time to evaluate, is this worth my valuable, precious Yeah limited time on this planet. And that's really where I'm at in 2021. It's like, is this actually helping? Are we helping anything? Mm-hmm. Are we making, am I being of service in any way? Or are we just bashing our head against the wall over and over saying, let's try it again. And look, who knows when the, the, the final bash might put the people over the edge and bring them along with you, but it may not. And I think every person in a group has to decide, is this working for me? Yeah, and and some of us were questioning that last night, and 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 you know, and maybe by this time next year I'll be saying. And so it was right around that time that we left that group and we started our own group, and we didn't have to worry about these people anymore. But to me, you know, to me, it's like it's your job if if you really consider yourself a, a, a progressive person, it's your job to stay current. It's your job to keep reading what's what people, what the thought leaders are saying, it's your job to keep reflecting on what you're doing. That's not okay anymore. It's not. And I guess it's my job to teach you if I'm one of the leaders of this group. Okay. You can make that argument, but the, nobody's open to being taught. I mean, there's all these, you know, comments about like, Oh, well, you can't say this anymore and you can't say that anymore. And it's, 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 it's just, it's, it's very, very, very tiresome. And when I have to do it in other arenas, like with people that I really love and care about, that's one thing. Cause it's like, well, I'm committed to this person. Sure. Come hell or high water, but not, not like, you know, people who aren't my friends and family. Right. And I think that that's, that's like a, a common thing that a lot of people that are trying to make change in their life and in the world are now facing in this day and age, which is when is it time to say, you know what, I've done my best to bring people along and it's just not working or no, I'm still committed to trying. And I think it's a real day by day checking in with, with ourselves and saying, okay, how do I feel about this? Okay. Have I reached the tipping point where this isn't worth it? And it's just, again, it comes back to like, this just isn't a fit or when is it? It it still may be a fit for a while. And then it does, it's not a fit. And each person, I always thought that someone else would tell me when something wasn't a fit and I didn't have to make any choices ever. Yeah. yeah. Like be dumped rather than be the dumper. Right. Oh but my that, God. That's so, wow. That really just gave me chills. When yeah. You said that. It's so but true. Like, we all have to be the dumper at some point. Like we, it's part of life. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and if we don't, if I don't make changes and if I don't take action and stand up for what, 
then life just sort of happens to me. And then I end up like my mom, you know, I don't want, I don't want any of that. And I, I think that, um, right. And I think it's always good to sleep on things for a couple of days, you know, like I'm not into making rash decisions either, but I, I definitely know in my life that I always thought it was someone else's decision to, to whether I continued with things or not. Dude, that that's, I'm really glad you just said that to me. Thank you. Um, because what you're making me realize is one of the things that's so like getting older is liberating and scary at the same time. It's liberating because you, you figure out certain things that you don't need to keep doing, which were, you know, you never liked doing to begin with. But then also when you have more wisdom, there's a responsibility to live more wisely. And sometimes that's scary too. Sometimes you're like, but, but, but then if I kind of pretend like I don't know what I know that I can just, you know, it's easier in some ways, it's just easier because it's frightening to think about changing the mold. I mean, one, one thing about uh, being raised in a codependent family system is, you know, you, you, it better for better for worse. It becomes, it's just, it's so comfortable to adopt the same old position of like, I don't like it or agree with what's happening, but it's not okay for me to say so. And I certainly can't make any changes. So I just have to grin and bear it until it's over. Well, you it's, can't do at a certain point. You can't do that anymore. And also who made that rule? These are people that are, that they're that perpetuating that whole thing. And it's like, people can change their mind at any point. Now there are consequences when you change your mind, but like we are allowed. I, that's another sort of mantra of mine, which is now, which is I'm allowed to change my mind. Like, you know what? I, 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 I'm reconsidered and it's actually not, I actually want to go in this direction. And that's, you know, like you don't, it's like this false sense of you have to stick with something until you're dead. No, man. No. Who says, who says that? Yeah. Yes, that's right. And, and, and that's the other thing. 2021 should be the year of questioning the things that you have taken. I mean, cause like, let, let's, let's say that the positive thing about this year has been just every, everything's been thrown up into the air. And so that's all very destabilizing, but as everything comes back down, now it's really your prerogative and your responsibility yeah. to reevaluate the things that you've been doing, the way you've been part of the problem Right. You've been part of the solution and figuring out like if you want to keep being part of the problem in certain ways or if you want to, you know, do, do it differently and like be part of the solution. Right. And I think we all have choice points and we have choices and we have and it's not all of us and not all the time. But um, I, I, I'm very well aware that I have choices and I'm um, not going to sit by and say, yeah, time just, you know, time feels of the essence. and. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you start to realize at this age, like, oh, well, we're only going to be doing this for. <laughs> this isn't going on forever, right. and I think there's a there's a there's a uh, pretend you can play pretend until you're like forty five, for me anyway, till like forty, and then at little forty one, forty two, you can kind of get by, but forty five, I was like, oh, wait a second, oh, wait a second, I'm really, I'm, I'm, I see, that I'm at the top of this hill. Right. I see why I call it being over the hill. Right, and it's like, oh yeah. Okay, today on the show, we have Jess Hanna, 
who you may not necessarily know from television and film because she has made her way in theater in LA. It's amazing. Theater in LA. And she's a producer. She's a director. She's an actor, a performer. Um, she does all the things and she does them in Los Angeles, which is to me like, what? Yeah. And she's a queen and you can find her on her website, jessqueen.com. Enjoy. Which is really cool. Thank you for joining us, Queen. My pleasure, my, my pleasure, favorite, Queen. My favorite is that your that your that your website says Jess Queen. That is the coolest thing. It is. It is. I had cool. the, well, it was one of those moments where you know, you have the thought and you're like, well, let me just check. And I was like, yeah, buy, buy that right now. <laughs> there you go. I had to show it to my daughter because she's seven, but for some reason. Every like fourth day, she spends the entire day going, "Yes, Queen!" Like, I'll be like, "Do you want macaroni and cheese?" Yes. 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 And then it stops, and I think she let it go. And then a few days later, it comes back. But anyway, so good one. So yes, as Boz said, thank you for coming on this. We're we're talking to people about their experiences of theater school, why they chose to go to theater school why they chose to go to the school that they went to what the experience was like and then how it looks in the rear view and you're actually our first guest who is still doing theater who is who did theater all the way through never stopped and wow you're so successful you have so much stuff going on thank you so cool thank you yeah I've been I've been very lucky and I also I'm yeah I that is definitely a it's an interesting thing to the class that well, we get, I mean, I can talk about that. Yeah. Whole, you know, so the, you're, the numbers. You're from, you're from Ithaca. Is that right? Yeah. Did I get that? Totally. Okay. How, how, tell us about your, were you an actor as a kid? How did that go down? Well, my origin story is, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Uh, first time I went on stage, I was, I want to say three, three and a half. My mom Whoa. took me on stage with her in Trial by Jury, a Gilbert and Sullivan uh, uh, operetta. Um, that she was part of the what was called the Cornell Savoyards, and so it was a Gilbert and Sullivan group that worked out of Cornell. And um, that I like kind of grew up in like the, the early years were there. Like my sister, like my mom was pregnant, so she had to like assistant direct instead of being on stage for Mikado and, and, but, and then, and then we, yeah. And then uh, when I was seven, the hangar theater is in Ithaca, New York, which is a really great um, summer theater. And it has been for many years um, uh, forever, obviously, since I was seven. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. Oh, come on. No, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm cool with age. It's all good. Totally. Because, I mean, the every day I get, I'm grateful for. <laughs> like, and right. The fact that I, hey, look, there's Jen Bosworth, who I knew. Yeah. How many years ago? I oh, mean, it, it was just, yeah, just 107. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I mean, I I don't have an issue with the age. I'm very grateful. Um, but anyway, so when I was, so so seven, um, I was cast as the little girl in Showboat. Um, and the little girl in Showboat has one scene where her father comes to tell her that he's leaving. And it happened right at the time when my parents were splitting up. And oh so, and this is the thing about like when I say origin story, because in my head, what it is, is that my dad came to see me in the play. And like, I have like, literally, this is in my head and I have no idea if this is true. Gave me a flower. And then 
left, basically moved away from Ithaca from there. Like, and I'm, sh- I'm sure it was days, whatever. But in my head, there, Jessica, little Jessica turns around with her flower, walks back backstage, and then goes and hangs out with her mom and dad from the stage and plays cards and has a great time and is safe. And so, like, theater, very, like, I mean, it's so it's so psychologically in my brain. And, it, like, on one level, it's like, oh, that's so fucked up. But at the same time, it's like, no, it's safe. It's, and it's, it's a space where you can create what you need, you know, and or what, what you want to see in the world. And so that was really early. And then, uh, and then there was just a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of great arts in Ithaca period. Um, but at the time I had a great mentor, um, who was mostly like, I did voice lessons and blah, blah, and did all the school plays in junior high and then didn't get cast in high school. And it was like, what? So went outside of my regular circles or the, the, the school circles to do, to start doing work. Um, what I look back now and say, start doing work because like, I was like, you know, did assistant directing at the opera and working, you know, making props and then, you know, doing all of the things. Right. And um, at the time also in the hangar, I, I did a couple of summers doing like backstage stuff and then got like to play the maid and you never can tell. Mm-hmm. Um, but Bob Moss, uh, Robert Moss, who, who uh, founded Playwrights Horizons back in the day, um, he was the artistic director in the period of time at the hangar where I was in, uh, was very formative. So like from, I, when I remember it was like 13, 14. Um, but so like that also, as I look back, like Bob was a very um, influential, not just like person, but artist. And then, and then also the way he hosted as an artistic director and the way he ran a space um, these, these, there were a couple of mentors like that, that I have, they look back now and it's like, oh yeah, this is why I do what I do. Totally. So I have a question just to, yeah. to go back to, so you feel like it sounds like you were mentored in the theater arts at a very young age. Like when you said, I, you know, I wasn't cast. So I, I went, I mean, that's pretty amazing. How old, so you, you, you went with your voice lessons and stuff, you felt like these uh-huh. people were t- really helping you and taking you uh-huh. under their wing and like supportive. Yeah. No, it was definitely a, it was a place uh, I learned, I, you know, it was a place I felt comfortable, particularly as a teenager, you know, when things are so crazy um, and trying to find where you fit in and things like that. And um, wow. yeah. So and like, your mom always did. She was always in theater. Um, she was, well, she, yeah, she had an interest in it. And then she was a singer and, um, but then she went back to school and she became a nurse and uh, specifically a uh, um uh, elderly care, uh, Alzheimer's and hospice work for the, the rest of her career. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, but she always, always had an interest. And my dad is a visual artist. He teaches, um, uh, visual art or, or, uh, hand drawing at the university of Houston now, but so always had, and, and he, when we would see him, uh, we would go and do things and like go see art, go to museums, go see plays. He took me to see, <laughs> I saw dancing, uh, Bob Fonsi's dancing on Broadway. I think I probably was 10, 11. Wow. Yeah, I know. Like stuff like that where it's like, what is this? This is amazing. The sound is coming from under the seats. They're fluorescent and doing Bob Fonsi moves. Oh my God. I didn't know Bob Fonsi moves, but I was like, you know, I mean, you respond, yeah. you respond to these things. Yeah. And we were four. So like, I, so Ithaca is like four and a half hours away from New York City. Um, so, and then growing, like, 
continuing on, uh, my mom had a friend who lived down in the village who would give us their couch, basically, like give us space in their apartment. And so, you know, single mom, the vacation with the two girls was going down to the city and hitting the TKTS line and seeing as many plays as we could. Wow. You know? And so like, I saw, I saw amazing stuff in the eighties. Like, you know, I mean, just like, yeah, I mean, like I, 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 every, every era has its heyday, but like the actors that I got to see in person, like I didn't know it, but I saw Delroy Lindo and Joe Turner's coming Whoa. on. You know, I didn't know, you know, it was like, I was like, who is that? That man is the whole room changed. Did you know, did you ever notice that the whole room changed when that guy walked <laughs> on stage? You know? I mean, Gregory Hines in Jelly's Last Jam, you know, like, oh. seeing Bernadette Peters. Got to see Lily Tomlin do her solo show. A big one for me was um, Serafina, which was the, a big a musical from South Africa about what was happening. And the experience in that theater was so, like, huge, cathartic, like, audience participation and, like, joyful. And those, like, those, those moments... You know, and I also got to see cats when I was 12 and I was, you know, fulfill all the things. But, but like those kinds of, um, yeah, it just kept on reinforcing that theater was what, like my jam. Wow. Yeah. And, yeah. and you said you weren't cast in your high school. Well, what was wrong with those idiots? <laughs> this is a good question. And a question that young Jessica asked herself a lot. Um, but I have, you know, all, all of the hard thing is, you know, again, it's, you know, high school where all the people that I was, all the kids are my, my fellows that I was doing things with outside of school, you know, and like doing the, the summer things. There was another, there was a, a, a group in town that did musicals that were like, I did Barnum. I know how to juggle still because I did Barnum when I was 12. <laughs> oh, good. So you, know? you had an easier time of it when we had to learn it. Was it John Jenkins who made us learn juggling? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I cannot juggle to save my life. But <laughs> you aced it. Well, it was actually, I remember having that moment of like, oh, I got, I got, I got a little bit of this, but I don't know if you, David Kovac was in my class. Do you guys remember David Kovac? Oh my gosh. I forgot all about him. He's amazing. He is still at it as well. Yeah. You guys should totally talk to him. You should totally, he's a magician. Awesome. He's amazing. Yeah, totally. No. And his, yeah, yeah. You can see his skills coming through, but. I lo- this is another reason I love this podcast is I hear names I haven't thought of in 20 years. It's yeah. so cool. Yeah. So you always knew you wanted to go to a conservatory for college? Um, I knew I wanted to, I, I didn't, I was learning what a conservatory was. Um, and I applied, let's see, wait, because how's this go? I applied to Carnegie Mellon, um, SUNY Purchase, and DePaul. And I can't remember why DePaul, honestly, I don't know where it came. It came out of like, cause I didn't have, I'd never been to Chicago or anything like that, but for some reason, um, yeah, it came across. And then Hofstra was my safety school. Uh, and I feel like maybe I, NYU, I feel like I auditioned one more place. It might've been NYU. Um, but, but then, uh, uh, I didn't get into any of them except for DePaul and I got into Hofstra. And I think about what would my life have been <laughs> if I had gone to Hofstra. Um, yeah. But the other big thing about DePaul was that we did take, my mom and I did a, a I want to say it was a fall, like come out and see the school weekend. Mm-hmm. And it was, I realized later, it was like one of those, like the perfect window fall where I was like, this place is amazing. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. my God, it's so beautiful and it's breezy. You know, it's very temperate. It's not, you know, it's, there's no snow kind of, on the ground it's yet. Snow, it's like, I'm coming from Mythica. I can handle the winter. It'll be fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I remember that. It was like magical. They, yeah. they I felt it was magic. Yeah. So you got into, okay. So you got into DePaul and you were like, well, that's where yeah. I'm going. Cause I'm not going to Hofstra. Like you, you, yeah. you no, wanted- it was like, oh, I want to go. I mean, I want to, and um, I got a bit of a scholarship. So Good. that also helped. Yeah, totally. Um, like a, an academic something scholar. I can't remember what it was. Um, but they, do you remember the other auditions that you did? Um, in terms of what the experience was or what I, I, I know I did, I did the, I did a month. I did the monologue about the butterflies from burn this. Oh, yeah, because I had seen, this is, I'd seen burn this on Broadway, like with, and, uh, had an experience What I must've been 16. And, um, uh, I went with some of the folks I had known. I, I met at the hangar. Like they, it was like I'm going out with my New York friends to go see a Broadway play. Right. I went to go see this play and like literally came out at intermission. I was like, "Who? That man with the long hair?" Blah blah blah. And like my friends were like, "Honey, he's bald. That's a way." And I was like, <laughs> "I was like, no, no, it is not." But that play, like that play at the time, man, I was like, oh, I was all in for that play because um, it was like one of the like it was super. They were sexy and all. It was like, so, so sexy. So sexy. We talked so a lot about sexy. on the podcast how people we you, you do you do monologues from shows, and now I'm like, oh my! I mean, <laughs> I'm sure you slayed it. I'm sure you slayed it. Yeah, <laughs> there. It's like, what 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 did they think we were going to do? We had to do those monologues, but like now looking back at a you know 17 year old 16 year old doing those I'm like oh I don't even know if that's emotionally responsible like you know what I mean like but I'm sure you slayed it and you got it (laughs) I mean yeah I mean bless Carol Duck's heart you know she actually she uh, she actually I was like when I got to school she had uh, it ended up being she had she had just left and I've always like been like bless her heart for letting me in and then leaving. <laughs> oh, I didn't you know? know that she was there. That's right. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. your class. Yeah. I was 89. I started fall of 89. Right. Yeah, totally. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Have you kept up with all of the changes at the theater school? Like they're in this amazing building and the, oh, yeah. yeah it's, it's, oh, yes. Totally. No, yeah. It, it, and because um, I would hope for a while, there was a couple of times where I hosted some uh, alumni or a uh, their showcase events. Uh, the, so an alumni, we had like an alumni talk at bootleg and things like that when I was working over there. Um, and, you know, I think John Colbert's done a fantastic job as Dean. I mean, straight up. I mean, you got a new building. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. Way, <laughs> I mean, way overdue. Yeah. Oh, definitely. <laughs> and at the same time, you know, I miss the, grunge, I I miss the grungy movement room. <laughs> no, I remember smoking out of the window on the second floor. <laughs> And being like, I don't think this is legal, but that's okay. Um, so, I mean, it's a huge question to say, like, what was your ex- what was your life like at the theater school? But I do want to know, like, when you look back, what are the feelings that come up for you when you think about going to the theater school at DePaul? Like, just what are your... Um, I'm really grateful for it, first and foremost. Um, was it always... E- it wasn't easy. <laughs> I mean, I got warned. I got, I came back to the to third year on warning and was just like, Oh shit. Oh, you know? Yeah. And my class was, I want to say somewhere between 65 and 70 people. 
and we graduated with 26. Wow. I want to say that's right. That's it's or it's somewhere around those numbers. And like a couple people like took a year off, so left that way. But then we had a couple people join, you know, in the in that first to third year stint. So it kind of went, and you know, we had a huge cut after our first year. And that that also that like that thing of like, oh, those friends aren't coming back. I mean, you know, yay, I made it, and oh no, and oh my gosh, my heart. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, so you know, that- yeah. Yeah. Now that you're talking about the timeline, how, boss, how did how did you know Jess if she graduated before we started? So I just knew you th- when I got because, more- because I was uh, because my uh, my ex husband Michael Dunn. Yes. Oh God! Oh, he was my God. Uh, mm-hmm. I was, <laughs> was around. I was around for a few more years because we started dating uh, his second year. That's right. And I knew you through like, yeah, um, Mike Dunn and Zach Helm and and all that, that group. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, we could be, you could be cut after third year too? No. I was on warning going into my third year. Oh, understood. Okay. I was like, they were like, like, you can come back. But don't fuck up. So one of the things that Gina, that Gina and I talked about was like, and I'll speak for myself, like looking back, my head was so far up my ass <laughs> that I don't remember thinking, oh, this is wrong. This is weird. This people are being treated poorly. I just, re- I, I don't know. Did you have that awareness, Jess, of like, oh, things can be a little, this is, this is hard and um, strenuous and I have to persevere. Did you have an awareness of that? Um, I think I, well, here, I have a story for you. Um, yeah, I was thinking about this. I was like, I know, I mean, cause it doesn't affect anyone. I mean, I, I was the person who was affected. So, um, but the, but yeah, I think, I, I think I was aware, but at the same time I wasn't buying, I, I didn't opt out. I didn't, I, I did have a moment with myself where I talked about, uh, I remember thinking like, you know, do I take a year off? Is this too hard? Those kinds of things. And then having this real moment with myself of like, if you leave, you're not going to finish, you know, whatever, like, I just, something in me knew is like, if you want to, if you want to get a degree, you need to stay, you need to stay here, you know? And I don't, you know, that was the conversation I talked myself into at the time. Um, Whether that's actually true or not, who knows? Here we are. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But the thing was that, okay, so my, I think it was end of third year, end of fourth year. No, it had to have been end of third year. Um, yeah, there was, uh, so I think it was, uh, what, there was, it was Three Sisters was one of the plays. But at the time, and I don't see, this is the thing. Uh, when you went to school, were the audition after when you did auditions, everything was posted on the door, right? Was it posted as main stage cast all with their parts workshop pool? Yes. Okay. It was because they were, they, they slowly changed that. And one of the things that, um, one of the things that happened was that I was left off of all the lists that round. Yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. No, and because of how we, how, how, you know, how students are or how I was, 
after having done the auditions, everyone went out partying, waiting to go, you know, go out to go have drinks before we go see the list. So Kelly's. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I came up and like, I was drunk enough that I freaked the fuck out (laughs) and like, went back and found uh, um, Don. Don. Don Ilko? Yeah, totally. Because he is at the bar. He was the only one who would be brave enough to hang out with us while we were waiting That's for the right. to go up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I went back and I like, like got in his face and like yelled about it. I'm like, you know, cheers. I have no idea what it was I said, but and then like the next day spent the day or however long writing a letter. <laughs> and I wrote this letter that was um, about what it like, this is what happened to me. This should never happen again. And also the way that you treat workshops is blah, 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 blah. Because one of the things that it, like when I come into school, they, they, they were always talking about how, you know, the, the lip service to like, these are all the same, you know, it's all the same, whatever. And I was like, okay, you don't give uh, the, the pushback you get from the, the, the design department and the tech department about what you can use and what you can't. The, you know, all of these things that were so hard to get, like they were hard for workshops. And also then this horrible way of putting up the auditions um yeah which they kept doing but then i then literally like it, i i wrote it to the dean and then i made copies and i put one in everybody's oh <laughs> yes <laughs> and I, like i can still remember like standing in front of those mailboxes just being like just fucking do this just fucking do this, just fucking do this. <gasps> that is just, like Totally. And, and then, and then it was, I can't remember, like later on that day, some point, Jim Ossoff like came up to me and he was like, so you want to talk to me? And I was like, what? He's like, your letter. And I was like, oh, oh, yes, I would actually. Let's talk about this. And so I went in and had a meeting with him in his office. And I think, it was, I think the Dean met with me as well. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. That so, but, it, but I mean, so like I made enough, I, I think, did things change? Maybe I can't remember, but I mean, I think workshops got a little better, better of a, like a little more support or at least people were paying attention a little more. Um, I have that letter somewhere. I was thinking about because I was thinking about talking to you guys. I was like, I know I have that letter. Somewhere. Oh, if you find it, you've got to send it to totally. us. Totally. Yeah. Wait a minute, though. But what's the end of the story? You were left off the list. Oh, no, I, it, it was an accident. It was, in you know, I had been like I was it, I was a cast on main stage, but they were like, oh, no, this person was wants to eat. And I was like. And they like profuse apology for that. John Bridges, like, I am so sorry, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, you know, everybody took responsibility for it, but everything, but it, like for what? I must have been 20? Maybe, yeah. Yeah, 20. I mean, uh, traumatic, uh, traumatic, drama, drama. Total drama. <laughs> and yet there was something in you because I, I'm just so um, in awe of the fact that you were able to, what was it all your years of being a theater? I mean, you were like a theater professional from age seven in some ways. So it's like, what forced, what made you stick the letters in the, but I would have run. I mean, I had those feelings, but but I didn't do shit about it. Right. I didn't stand well, up for myself I mean, or others. Was, I mean, again, I mean, the sad fact is the personal hurt that had happened that then that then spurred me to this of just like, okay, I'm personally hurt and I need to say this. So the way I'm going to say this is I'm going to say it's me, but it's everybody. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's, I mean, that's definitely, that makes sense for Jess in terms of like, if I'm going to stand up for myself, I'm going to stand up 
like I'm going to bring the whole crew with me or something like that. Cause it's, it's hard to just, you know, I don't know the, 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 like, you know, it, it, to, uh, it's hard. Everybody has to make the, it. I don't like to make things all about me at the same time as this happened to me. So probably yeah, the way to translate that into something. And also like, what's the, what's the greater good, you know, what is the greater good of this, of how can we, how can I serve this place? Cause I mean, also you have to also, I, I, I should also add, I worked in the admissions office for three years under uh, Melissa Meltzer and yeah. then Aubrey, bless his heart. Um, and, uh, yeah, the whole time that was my work study job. And so I gave tours. I talked about the school. I was a cheerleader. So you're just making, you, talking about the whole workshop thing just made me realize that you're right a hundred percent about the way that they approached workshop, but it was talking out of both sides of their mouth because in class it was all about don't get involved. Don't get wrapped up in the end result don't get wrapped Mm -hmm. up in how it looks or you know just be a part of the process Process. just be and I as somebody who didn't know anything about theater before going to theater school getting introduced to that concept was such a relief and then the reality yeah (laughs) it's like and I at the time I really probably didn't know to 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 see it that way but you're right they didn't let the workshops I mean they didn't certainly didn't promote them and it was just like your peers and your parents if yeah. your parents lived close enough to come yeah, in terms of audience I, the thing I will say is that um workshop wise the getting to work with people who were working in Chicago the directors mm. that was great um you know the I think that the or that that part of what they did and I work I worked with like also with um the um, uh, a couple of MFA directors on their thesis you know one of the best experiences I had was uh, being directed by J. Paul Skelton in Vinegar Tom. That was- I saw that. Oh, did you really? Brilliant. Was oh it- my God. It was in the downstairs. Was it in the downstairs music or I can't. It was, it was, it was so- in one of those. It was in one of the, it was one of the classrooms. Oh, so it was good. Like, no, totally. I mean, it was like, it, yeah, it was great. And I mean, it's like, you know, and Murphy was uh, advising on the show. And so, you know, it had a lot of good stuff. I mean, you know, my, I'm, I am, privileged and honored and so excited about like the relationship I have with Rick Murphy to this day. Um, but that starts in that first year, first year class, you know, and the fact that he, he was very, um, I wouldn't say like, I wouldn't say like, I would, I wasn't like a go to his, go to his office and blah, blah, blah to him, but he was very supportive and friendly. And I remember him being in particular on that show, uh, just being really, really positive um, and like, there were a couple of moments with him, you know, in the, the, was it? So Sonia Lukic and I were practicing, I want to say springboarding. We were, we were practicing, quote unquote, practicing in the hall, <laughs> trying to, trying to figure it out, you know, and, and, uh, and like, or trying to figure out something. I can't remember what it, it was, something from his class. And I, you know, we we're just having a hard time. And at some point I feel like, again, I, these are memories, but like he walked by and he was like, you do know it's not life or death. Right. Mm-hmm. and just being like what mm-hmm. oh 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 you mean i can re- okay right the whole freaked out part of like ah i have to get this is not helping the acting 
Right. <laughs> That's like you know? we had a, a guest say, you know, just or people say you don't have to be a mess. Like you don't have to be. It doesn't have to all be angst, but it's really hard to do that when you're 17 years old and oh, you don't know what the hell is going. I just, I oh, give yeah. us, I just give us all so much credit for not bailing and being like, you know what? I'm going to no. this is, I'm going to a frat party. I'll see you later. You know, yeah. like, uh, no, I mean, you know, and to talk about, I mean, the things we know now, both myself, but also like the things that our industry knows now to look at it back through this lens, there's moments of just like, this is, that was horrible. It was fucking horrible. You know, I used to, I mean, at the time I remember having <laughs> Trudy, Trudy used to walk in with a box of Kleenex and I would just be like, uh-uh, cross the arms. Ain't no way you're getting crying out of me today, lady. There ain't no way. You know? And like, even that reaction is just like, that's not helpful either. You know, like going the extreme of being like, oh, I got to get, I got to dig into all of my personal feelings in order to come to something, which, you know, but I mean, you know, I don't, that's hard. It's hard for me also now because, you know, I do, I do, I don't, I don't teach regularly, but I I do direct at colleges and I have, have been, you know, dancing around academia and, you know, props to, to theater, to practitioner teachers, because, it is, it's a, it's a minefield because I mean, 18 to 22 years old. Right. And, and whether or not you're trying, you know, the people who are pushing people to use their own experiences, that's a whole other, like, you need to look at what your work is, but like even just literally doing basic physical work that cracks people open and, or gets people to know their bodies in ways that they've like that, they don't have explanation for and then they for two hours and then they wander out into the world you know you know and it's like that i mean and that's no like i can't say that's somebody's fault you know because you know i mean and i know that teachers are being uh at least a lot of folks i know are being much more um uh aware or trying to be conscious of how they're teaching and what they're and what it is that they're teaching and how they're teaching um but it's, I mean, you're, the, 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 the work is asking you to delve into things and to get to know yourself in a way. And honestly, that's one of the things I, lo- I, I'm, I think theater school is great for. Um, but it's not, it, it, it's not that for, I mean, you know, having to delve into that stuff and not having safe spaces or not having some kind of uh, community net or something to understand what's going on or to help you go, Hey, you're not crazy. You're just feeling a whole bunch of things that you've never felt before. Um, that would have been great. Right. Right. A little something like some kind of, they must have of, that now. They must have so. like a therapist on staff. I, I mean, I just, there was no, I think you said it for me was um, there's just, there didn't feel like a net. Yeah. Yeah. And that's scary. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And you're, I mean, and you're literally doing tightrope walking. I mean, you're, you're learning how, and you're doing like crazy feats with yourself, you know, and then you have to be able to talk to yourself down or you have to find some way, you know, and do do people do a lot of drugs and drink in, in college in general? Yes. In theater school, most likely. Yes. Because you're got like, what do I do with all these feelings? Oh, I know. Cigarettes are great. I love cigarettes. <laughs> Not only is like, what do you do with all these feelings? But by the time you did your academic class, your job, your 
theater school classes and your rehearsal. You had like six <laughs> hours left in the day and you had to quick come down as fast as possible so yeah. that you could go to sleep yeah. so that you could get up in time to do it all, it all over again. again. Totally. Yeah. So when did you um, first start directing and how did that come about? Um, directed a little bit over the years, bits and pieces. Um, and then... I think it was, what would it be, like 16, 17 years ago now? Uh, a friend, uh, actually Todd Schrank, who was in my class, um, he wrote a play called Stuck in the Groove Bucket that uh, he did in New York with um, Eddie Haugen. Do you guys remember Eddie? Yeah, no, after your time or before your time. Um, so Eddie and Todd did this play. I went to see it. It's a great play. I've always loved this play. And there was a point where I was like, hey and uh married to michael at the time and he was i was like you'd be great in this part let's just put this up i'll direct it and everything and i think that's pretty much like i mean i, I did some you know assistant directing and things along the way little bits and pieces um but that was the first time that like directed and produced something full-on it was wow. great yeah had a good time and um and then well and then did uh like uh freddie teaches playwriting up at occidental brought me in to do some uh, work with students on their, their new play festival and plays that uh, written by students um, and did a couple of sh a few shows there and that was right around and then got uh, then the, the bootleg job came about and so that like the a lot of these things started happening simultaneously but I was but the fo like the my time and energy primarily was on bootleg um, and then six years ago or so seven years ago I started, uh, got asked to, uh, been directing little bits and pieces again, but then um, did a play called No Homo um, that Brandon Baruch wrote at, Baruch wrote at here in um, LA. And that did well at the at the Hollywood Fringe. Then we took it to New York Fringe. Um, and after of that, then somebody else, you know, somebody saw that, asked me to direct another piece and boop, boop, boop. Yeah. Know, slowly, slowly building that um and always looking for, and mostly new plays. Um, and I, I really enjoy um, the process, the, or not just process, obviously, but um, the the process of working on a play with a playwright. Um, I, I, I like that as I like that as an actor as well, and like as a director too. But the the creation portion of that, um, and the first time up on its feet, and when you learn so many things about a play when you first put it up on its feet. Mm. Uh, and having the playwright in the room and getting to work on those things as they happen. Amazing. How did you end up in Los Angeles from Chicago? <laughs> um, my mom grew up here. So oh. I had, so when, <clears throat> when Michael was uh, finished with school, kind of knew we wanted to leave Chicago and we're looking at New York and LA and New York was still cold. <laughs> um, and more at the time, so in 96, uh, way way more expensive than chicago and la um la was a pretty comparable to chicago at the time and then i and i had my grandparents were alive and lived here and so we had a place to land and it's like okay and the weather <laughs> you know and la was growing i came out here a few times you know growing up with to visit grandparents and stuff and and my cousin and my uncle and it was it's like the uh, another another planet compared to ithaca 
and very, you know, palm trees and romantic and beach and you know, I can romanticize the hell out of it. So on one level, even though I grew up like putting New York Times pictures of Broadway plays on my walls and seeing and like, I'm going to be in New York, New York, New York. And then Chicago really kind of was like, because Chicago for me was like, oh, oh, there are other, oh, there are other cities. Oh, oh, you know, and so then New York started to not have, you know, like the, the struggle of what I, you know, what I knew about New York and stuff. And so then coming to LA and I mean, I struggled here in terms of finding my way because I'm not, I was not good at selling myself as an actor. Um, and I didn't, you know, I didn't really fit any of the, the norms for the ladies that they were looking for. Um, and so did, you know, tried to follow that, then started doing a little, uh, assistant directing and stage managing and like, how do I get involved with theater? What is this? That kind of thing. Um, and then in, I saw, I saw a city company production in New York in 97 called the culture of desire and was like, what is this? You know, just like, more, um, like super random. Um, and then they came out here and did cabin pressure. And again, I was like, what? How? The physicality and the voice and the thing and the, all the layers and uh um and then uh zach helm actually he was like hey that company you're obsessed with is doing a is doing a workshop and i was like that sounds terrifying okay i'm going to do the terrifying thing and zach said he would do it with me and then he bailed two weeks before him (laughs) totally he had something that came up and he couldn't do it so but i was like oh i'm doing it I'm doing this thing. Yeah. And did two weeks of training with them and it totally like shifted things for me in a gigantic way. Um, and what was interesting is I, you know, it worked with what I, what I had from the theater school. It worked in the language worked the conversation between Spolin and viewpoints. Um, there is similar language. There's also the similar thing of working from what is happening to you physically getting your impulses, finding, you know, finding your way through space, you know, like literally those, those, like in the viewpoints work, like those words would come out and be like, Oh, Oh, I, I understand that word, but you're telling me a whole new dimension of it. Oh, Oh, you know? And, and the other thing at theater school, like, cause Spolin stuff, I, I, I dug it, but I also was not the funny girl, like, or the pressure, right. like the idea, like the way that Spolin, the way that Spolin is used in improv games now, now, and at the time, but really like it's kaboomed, right. That I, the pressure to be funny and things like that really like makes me, freaks me out. It's like, you know, my worst nightmare is having to do stand up, basically. Oh, really? Oh, oh never. Ugh, how awful. That's yet, awful. that is yet another thing that was talked about in theory in one way and then inhabited in practice in another. Because I remember saying to somebody, some acting teacher, like, it must have been David, like, I'm not, why does everything have to be so funny? I, you know, I, I'm, A, I'm not funny, and B, not everything is funny. And he was like, it's not, you know, that's just, that's just where some people go. But it, it, as long as you're talking about the truth of the moment. And every single time we did an improv and I wasn't funny, either because I wasn't trying to be funny or I was trying to be funny, <laughs> and I wasn't funny. you know, it just, I got like panned. 
And only the people who were funny seem to that really annoyed me. It still actually annoyed yeah. me. Now, now yeah. that I think about well, it, I it hear was you. men. It was men. Oh, and yeah. the men yeah, were funny, right? Yeah. I remember like, oh, yeah. and you know, like Al. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. And like, I remember being in a scene with him and being like, oh, this is a scene about this funny guy. And I'm the sidekick in this improv scene. Yeah. And that's it's real shitty. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. It's not, it's in, not the lessons we want to learn. No, no, but it no. fits in totally perfectly with the, and it's not specific to the theater school, so I'm not targeting them, but it fits in perfectly with the early nineties, mid nineties misogyny. Oh, that yeah. Really, oh that, yeah. That I would say ha, it still exists in theater, although we just don't have theater right now, but it's hasn't been checked to my knowledge until like the last four years that, it, that anybody's trying to look it, at their behavior with respect to yeah, agreed how, how they treat women. Yeah. No, there's a definitely, there's an awareness growing about, yeah. like I said, you can look back everybody like looking back now and being like, Oh, Oh, mm-hmm. women going, why did I take that? And God damn it. And what did I learn from that? And then men going, Oh, 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 I kind of now see what you're talking about. Or, yeah. Can we, Back to something that you said about, um, I, I'm interested in the showcase um, because we talk to people about the showcase because the showcase means so many different things to different people. <laughs> so how, what was your experience of your Los Angeles showcase? I'm just fascinated by this. What, I think my class might've been the last class to do New York and LA. Wait. Oh yeah, we didn't do, yeah, New, we York. Didn't do New York. No, That's we right. just did New York. Did we just do New York? I don't did know. we go to LA? Oh, maybe you didn't. I don't know if we went to LA. Okay. I think we were supposed to go. How was the New York one? Um, I mean, nothing happened out of it. I mean, it was like one of those like things you get like you're like oh the freak out beforehand, you know, and the working up to it like something like it's act like it's a moment that's actually going to change your life. Yeah, right. Which is like that's such it's bullshit, you know. And the the that kind of like that way of preparing for it is so unhelpful. Um. The, the the trip was great. I got to see, Rachel Slavinik. I went to and I went to go see the first part of Angels in America. It was awesome. <laughs> I mean, like that's that's honestly what I mostly remember from that trip. Wow, um, good. I don't. Even, I couldn't even tell you what monologue I did, but I know it was ser- It was a serious monologue, and like, yeah, probably a piece. Like it was one of those ones you like blink. You know, yeah, yeah, right. Like it doesn't. It just doesn't matter. You know, and a and a twenty two year old on stage doing a 40 some odd year old whatever monologue about their how long their life has been or the things they've learned or some shit like that where you're just like I think about that every time I'm sitting in auditions like if we if my theater company will have an open call and every every person who walks in under 25 I'm like here we go and it and you know with maybe one out of 100 exceptions it's the same exact performance <laughs> i could get up there and do it for them uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> in exactly the way. Yeah. but i wanted to ask you about something because uh, i don't know anything really about theater in la mm. but what i have heard is that it's different than it is anywhere else mm. that a lot of people use theater as like a showcase mm. uh, hoping that an agent will come to see them in a play but at the same time there's all this really 
robust, amazing theater happening there. So like, can you explain it to me? <laughs> I'll try. It is its own ecosystem. I mean, and it has to do with the, the fact that there are so many actors here, actors and creators, I should say, uh, here, because you, you can make a living off of the industry, right? Um, but there is also then, uh, uh, it's a long history here, but this, so in the 80s, I think, the equity actors finally got fed up with the fact that they couldn't do plays themselves or anywhere else because there are what, what the equity houses here are center theater group, which has two houses at the time was the Mark Tabor forum and Amundsen. And then the Geffen is the other equity house. And then South coast rep, which is about 45 minute drive. And that's it for the equity houses. Um, and equity actors weren't able to, they weren't being allowed to work and uh, make any kind of theater work. Um, and so they sued their union for a new contract, which is where this 99, if you've ever heard of the 99 seat or equity waiver contract for LA, that's where that comes from is actually from their members asking for it and forcing them to give it to them. Um, and so that was like somewhere in the eighties. And then that caused a whole, um, whole bunch of theater making by artists um, and different kinds of like, you know, different kinds of uh, levels of that. Um, the idea of showcasing or that you'd get seen in a play. I mean, that's true in New York too. It's, I mean, you know, it's here, it is here, whether it happens more here that people are specifically putting on a play for that purpose I don't know. Maybe, and it's maybe the circles I run in. I feel like it happens less, um, but I could be wrong. Um, but then, uh, but the, like a lot of companies, like um, uh, the Met, which I don't know if it exists anymore, but that was like um, uh, what's his name, Ed Harris, Lindsey Krause, you know, and like so. You, I mean, <clears throat> if you look back on like the stuff that was being made in the uh, the, the the companies that were coming out of the late seventies and, and all through the eighties there often have people that you're like, oh, and then they became movie stars, you know? And so then I think that also helped to enforce the myth of like, if you do a play, you'll get into the movies. Um, those people, they were making work. They were coming together as groups, you know, and for like, whether it'd be a theater, they make it, they make a theater company. Um, and then that theater company, you know, some of those people would get whatever famous and leave. And the core people who kept on making work would keep on making work. Um, I think that happened a lot. And then the thing that's happened here recently or more recently in terms of the theater scene the last 10 years is the amount of playwrights that are here because TV clued into how awesome playwrights are. And so playwrights could all of a sudden like actually really make a really good living. But at the same time, they have plays and they want to put on plays. Um, that's what they, they, you know, either how they work it out, that's what they love, whatever the reasons. Um, so we have a lot of play, we had a lot of playwrights here in town and, it, and because of the waiver situation, um, it was very affordable to put on a new play as opposed to in another, in, in like specifically in New York, Chicago, maybe not so much. I mean, I, you know, I don't know what the costs of things are there now. I think it's probably, um, well now it's probably actually easier to put something on in Chicago. Um, but so yeah, for a while we had, we had a, like, and a really like robust new play, not just development, but like putting on first productions. And then it became also, there became a thing about like, you have to say it's the LA premiere. And so, because everybody wants a New York premiere, 
this pitting of New York versus LA, which I find very tiresome and totally not useful um, to the work. But, uh, but that, I mean, that was happening. And then what now, four years ago, five years ago, equity pulled that contract and, that was the whole thing about the equity waiver fight. And one of the things that did come out like pro 99, you might hear people talk about um, one of the positives I would say that came out of that was that the community actually looked around at each other and for like, like actually came, came together in a different way than we had before because the whole way we make stuff was threatened. And, you know, were there's an argument to be made that no no actor should be doing something for nine dollars a show absolutely if nobody if everybody's basically volunteering and coming together to make the work together and that's the agreement you know i mean i speak i i, I am not a member of any union i have been a i've been a producer been a director and i've been an actor and my overall is about the work um so, you know, my, you know, I, I was on the, uh, the board of the LA uh, producers league, the producers league of LA, uh, while all, all of this was happening. And so, you know, was really ad- trying to advocate for the community community, um, with, you know, I don't want to ever, I'm not about union busting. I think that if anybody is a member of actors equity, they really should get acquainted with their, with their union and ask them to work for them particularly if you live outside of New York. Right. Deep, you know, I mean, like, I'm going to say it, I'm trying not to say that with too much sauce, but like, if you're a member of this union, make them work for you. Make them do the work because as a producer, I know they take a long time and they aren't, they don't really focus on anything outside of New York. And it's very difficult to have conversations, negotiations, anything like that. Um, and I think the hard part in LA, for a lot of us in LA was that we were all like, we're artists. Why are you looking at us like the, the cigar chomping producer who wants to take, and, take advantage of all those artists out there to make a buck? <laughs> it's like, I don't, okay, first of all, I don't know what buck you're talking about. I mean, right. and, and I, 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 here's the thing I, I, I hear myself. I don't want to talk like people often like you can't make money in theater. You can't make money in theater. Well, hmm. you can make a living. It's not easy. Um, and you do, I mean, it is an art form. You have to be into it for that if, because that is what is actually going to thing that gives you something back. Mm. It is not a product that was built to make you money. Right. I mean, I don't necessarily think of that as a negative thing. I think we have been sold. Like, I mean, there's something to talk about in terms of the theater school. Me personally, I, I don't think they prepared anyone for what happens outside. No, that, no, no. Yeah. it was yeah. really that, lacking. That's, that's honestly, and I think that's, I, I, I like to think that's gotten better from what I've talked to with students coming out and stuff like that. But like at the time, I mean, if you weren't, if you weren't already signed or Jane Alderman didn't think you were right. a, a, a handsome boy, let's be honest, or like a sparky girl that she wasn't threatened by, then, you know, you maybe had some kind of something coming out of school, but also like just in terms of like, life skills like how do okay how do I pursue being an artist and support myself right like it felt at the time like there was a big blinder on about what the realities of making a living as an artist were totally you know and so like oh we're making we're gonna make you an actor and an artist and we're gonna put you out there it's like "Mm, 
are you? Because I, I don't know. I, I can't, you're not giving me anything to, to, to swim with. Yeah. You know, specifically there was so. no talking about theater professionals in the world. Correct. If you wanted to Correct. do film and TV, there was a little hope, yeah. but even that was kind of, unless you were sparky or yeah. a hot dude. Um, but like yeah. theater arts, like what can you do in the theater arts, like directing or producing, or there was none of that for women, especially women in the theater school. And that's where that's, that's what I, I, I'm just so fascinated that you were able to leave the theater school and then do all these things. And I think it speaks to, for me anyway, what I come back to is your early mentorship in the theater arts um, by people who really gave a shit. You know what I mean? Like, and so you had something to fall back on where I think a lot of us just left and were like, I guess I'll be a waiter. Like that, that, right. that was a legitimate, that's what everyone did. Except, oh yeah. Except for people that had some kind of base of like, no. Yeah. If, if you came into the theater school, having any sense that you had worth, then you were more likely to still think that when you left. But if you relied on, uh, as I did them to tell you if you're good or not. And if you're, you know, if you're going to make it or not, then, and I, I do have to wonder like how much of that has to do with the people who were teaching us not having careers in ding, probably ding, 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 ding. What they went to school for yeah. or what they, so yeah, there's a lot of, I think. The, and, no, um, and no working actors on state on staff. Right. Right. At all. Right. Right. I mean, right. Direct, you know, some great directors and some like, the, but, but like, you don't have, a, you don't have someone who's actually trying to be a working actor. That's right. I had a uh, Larry Yondo came in a couple of times and, and like he covered, I feel like John had surgery or something somewhere in my, so I had, like I had Larry for like six months and that was amazing. And I remember mm-hmm. having this moment of like, he worked, he's a, Oh, he's a working actor. And you know, you, you I know now that the teachers who actually practice, you get something. I mean, you're getting something different. They're, they're, they're not just telling you theory. They're not just saying, they're not like trying things. They're not just trying things out on you that they've never worked on in the real world, you know, in the professional world, I should say. That's so true. Um, yeah. I mean, it, well, the practitioners, I mean, that's one of the things I love about the city company folks is that all of like, literally, if they're not leading the class, they're in working with like standing next to you going up down and moving through space you know and so they're they're working on it too so i'm gonna i'm gonna listen differently to you because you're working on the problem right and what you're when the things you've come up with have been tested and tried and you can tell me you can you can you can show me failure you can show me success you know, and you can talk about both. And it's, I think that's it's so true. It's like being in the ring with each other versus people in the, in the seats outside. So like, right. like Renee Brown talks about, you know, like being in the cheap seats versus being in the ring in the arena versus uh-huh. maybe the expensive seats. But like, if you're in the ring, you're, you, I will listen to, I'll be like, Oh, they're fighting right alongside with me. And I, I think there wasn't that yeah. feeling for me at the theater school. It's clearly. And I also, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm just, yeah, I'm fascinated by that because I think it makes all the difference in the world. It totally does. And hopefully they're doing that more now. I mean, I don't know, yeah. but I'm, I'm hoping that's. Yeah. I'm trying to think, I mean, a number of the folks I know who are teaching there now, I mean, they work, they work outside of it and they, they, I know they make projects and do and either work with companies or, you know, I know, I know there are a bunch of those. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and like Murphy would get up, like Murphy, the, 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 the dog boys started um, and he did, oh, he did a, boys, yeah, yeah, totally. And he started working with those. And I feel like he, I don't know if he had done a couple things, like, I feel like Avcali worked outside of 
here's a little bit, but like Jim didn't, you know, Don didn't. Jenkins did a bit. And plus then, and then his wife, Nan, you know, she was working all over town. That was the other thing was like, Oh, all the designers who like those design faculty, they work everywhere, you know, and they were like that, that I imagine. And that's, that's the other thing, especially when I, for designers, but the connections that you can make through a working faculty member, whether it's that you, you know, can go in and assist that you can get into a rehearsal room and observe, you know, or whatever those things are that that also is an aspect, you know, of, of, of what they can teach, you know, to actually have real life experiences. That's huge. Yeah, that is huge. Well, unfortunately, we're our time is up, so we're going to have to stop. But thank you so much. Oh, my this pleasure. Is so great to have you. And, uh, I Survive Theatre School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth-Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. Follow us on Instagram at Undeniable Writers or on Twitter at Undeniable W-R-I-T-1. That's Undeniable Write without the E-1. Thanks. <laughs>